there is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. This episode of PZ's podcast is entitled Outer Ashen Limits, and it's episode 298. The uh, connection in my um, associative mind is that we were sitting in a wonderful service at noon for Ash Wednesday in All Saints Episcopal Church, Winter Park, presided over by their rector, the Reverend Stu Shelby. And as I pondered the remarkable difference between the service, wonderful as it was, that Mary and I were enjoying, and the service as I grew up, you might say, or attended it when I was a teenager and in college, and after college for some time, it, uh, it struck me the, the, the way all is in flux, all is in motion, uh, the chaff and the wheat, there is almost an unrecognizable difference structurally between the first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday, today in February 2020, and the way it was um, originally conceived in the Church of England prayer book and in the Episcopal prayer book. And I just began to think of tumbleweeds. I had this picture of tumbleweeds, the, uh, the uh, liturgy as a kind of flailing, ever going around in circles, uh, but um, um, always in motion um, environment that uh, is like life, that the changes um, that I was thinking about, albeit in a very beautiful and well-vertically-performed liturgy and service with a marvelous sermon from the rector, it, um, it occurred to me the extent to which everything we are involved in is flux. And then we, we drove back on... Uh, the Route 429 that comes back to Winter Garden, and some of the most beautiful pasture land, some of the most beautiful trees you've ever seen, are in process right now being knocked down to create one more of the infinity of uh, of uh, housing developments in our area. And I just thought to myself, would Mary's father even even recognize um, large parts of the country? Now, you may say, is Paul simply being a boomer? And I'm writing a book about boomers right now in terms of... Uh, what what God has for boomers in terms of peace and hope in the last third of our lives. No, I'd rather refer it to the episode of The Outer Limits um, that uh, was called uh, Cry of Silence. The episode, uh, I think, uh, was on television in October 1964. I actually saw it when it was, I think it was Monday night, 
and uh, it involves uh, a series of uh, tumbleweeds with which a scientist is communicating that turn out to be alien presences on the Earth. And it's really a very powerful, rather cheaply made um, series of sort of, you can just see the fans just outside the frame blowing these sort of uh, plants that are, you know, rotating like clocks or like wheels. And um, the, uh, I saw in my mind as I reflected on the liturgy, the um, rapid passage tumbleweeds from the episode Cry of Silence. And so I decided to call the episode um, Outer Ashen Limits. And you've just heard the celebrated short introduction by Vic Perrin nothing wrong with your television set that we loved so. And yet there is something very wrong with life, or shall I say there is something very unenduring about life. We really are candles in the wind. Now let me um, give you a chapter and verse on it, which I hope will actually uplift you. And it might even tell you something about depth that uh, I feel um, is easy to miss. It has to do with the depth of the human the human. Um, um, inherent intrinsic nature the 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 uh the the inherent uh depth of the of the sinner uh before god uh, which um again father Stu brought out with almost unprecedented uh, surprise when he got to the heart of his universal message but let me just say this when um if you're an episcopalian or an episcopalian minister or <clears throat> a clergyman of any kind actually or a member of mockingbird or anyone who sort of enjoys and wants to bring out the depth of the christian faith from the new testament into liturgy i'd like to tell you a little bit about what ash wednesday uh, used to be like because there's something to it if you look in your 1928 prayer book and i've got my confirmation prayer book here and uh when you look up the service, it is entitled A Penitential Office for Ash Wednesday, and it begins with the Coverdale translation of Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, after thy great goodness. According to the multitude of thy mercies, do away my offenses. The sacrifice of God is a troubled spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou shalt not despise. Then um, you have the Lord's Prayer. And uh, there's uh, the potential for uh, putting the litany here, the famous litany. And then there are... Um, Two prayers, followed by a very beautiful prayer that was in the original book. Turn thou us, O Lord, Lord, and so shall we be turned. Be favorable, O Lord, be favorable to thy people, who turn to thee in weeping, fasting, and praying. For thou art a merciful God, full of compassion, long-suffering, and of great pity. Thou sparest when we deserve punishment, and in thy wrath thinkest upon mercy." Spare thy people, good Lord, spare them, and let not thine heritage be brought to confusion. Hear us, O Lord, for thy mercy is great, and after the multitude of thy mercies, look upon us through the mercies and mediation of thy blessed Son, Jesus Christ, O Lord. And finally, the minister says this. Listen up, I, I have a point, and it will be entertaining, believe it or not. O God, whose nature and property is ever to have mercy and to forgive, this is the concluding prayer recited by the minister, as it is said in the rubric, receive our humble petitions, and though we be tied and bound with the chain of our sins, let the pitifulness of thy great mercy loose us. Now, that is extraordinary. It's not all that much more extraordinary than the promise of absolution tendered in the new service, but let me say this. Until um, a little bit after 1979, ashes were never imposed in Episcopal churches. Now, did you hear that? 
on Ash Wednesday, ashes were never imposed on Ash Wednesday. There was no provision for it in the prayer book. There was no, remember that thou art dust, and to thus thou shalt return. There was no provision for it. It was considered Catholic, and it had been rejected absolutely at the time of the Reformation. Remember, one of Cranmer's first uh, first changes in the liturgy was to obviate or cancel, as we say today, a liturgy that had been prepared for when you burn the palms from last Palm Sunday in order to create the ashes for Ash Wednesday. Uh, One of Cranmer's first official acts in the early, what, the third decade of the uh, 16th century in England was to um, delete that service from the prayer book. There were no ashes. Ashes were considered a uh, false and unscriptural uh, um, token of repentance because the Lord had said, when you uh, come out from your fasting, wash your face so that no external sign will remain. Quite the contrary today. And um, I grew up um, never seeing ashes in an Episcopal church and was a seminarian for two seasons, two summers before I even... Um, really before I, my sophomore year in college at an Episcopal church in which I, as it were, grew up and was confirmed, never saw ashes and never never saw them or heard of them. And uh, then never in college and never in seminary. Um, and it was only uh, about uh, in about 1979, uh, maybe 77, but at the earliest, uh, 77, but I think it was 1979 when we were being interviewed for the Parish of Grace Episcopal Church in Providence, Rhode Island, and we happened, our interview happened to coincide with Ash Wednesday, and we attended the service, and there was considerable um, uh, amusement in the church uh, for the fact that the, I believe, an interim rector at the time had decided to impose ashes on Ash Wednesday, and they'd never simply, they never had it for hundreds of years. They'd, no one in the church knew what to do or knew what it was, and there were a few younger, sort of 40-year-olds who thought it was really cool, but it, it, there were no young people in the church at that time. But the uh, the, the members of the church were completely flummoxed by it. They went along, and I was there, I remember, and they didn't know what to do. The priest barely knew what to do. And the whole thing was um, was entirely innovative. Now, um, let me say two other things about it. You would never, ever have had... Oh, my phone is ringing through my hearing aid. Hang on just a second. Oh, I just love it. This is real, people. This is not a projection of, uh, of editing. Spam risk. Anyway, um, then comes the next uh, innovation, which was the addition of Holy Communion to Ash Wednesday. Again, that was considered not really... um uh, that would be considered a little bit uppity or a little, no, no, that's not the right word, a little bit um, too positive or shall I say too um, superficially optimistic for the service of uh, the penitential service of Ash Wednesday. And that was never done. Even that, now first ashes in 1979, then I don't remember communion ever being, uh, I don't communion, remember communion ever being part of the Ash Wednesday service until I got to Birmingham at the Church of the Advent, where they always said we never had it through the 70s and through the 80s uh, communion uh, in Scarborough. And we were mainstream. We weren't low. We were me, but we weren't low in any kind of uh, informal sense at all. We were quite traditional and followed the prayer book more or less to the word. And then... Um, so then we, we suddenly came to the Advent where there had been the innovation of putting in communion. So you, you had this beautiful service, which by that time had the imposition of ashes. But then you had this addition, which felt to me anticlimactic. The power of Psalm 51, the power of Psalm 103, the power of the uh, church school choir in Birmingham singing um, 
the Miserere Mihi was so wonderful and so um, unsettling and settling at the same time and so accurate to the human conflict and the human um, desperate urgency of forgiveness and mercy that um, to add communion to it, which I just went along with because I didn't want to challenge something that was, I didn't want to fight over that. It, it in fact was anticlimactic. It was like a footnote, sort of keeping your fingers crossed, given the extremity of the Ash Wednesday recipe for human both diagnosis and human uh, deliverance from your sin. And then you had this sort of um, this right one or some right two Holy Communion, which seemed it was it was anticlimactic, not because it was bad, but because it was kind of an adi- an addition that. Um, seemed to um, take away the urgency of the first part. Sort of like having announcements in church when you have a really good service and then the, the service just goes flat, boom, boom, just falls like a iron donut through water um, when you get too many announcements or even more than about one. Uh, and it had the feeling of deflation. So that, again, which is now universal, we, we, we never had. And then let me tell you one other very funny thing. You probably don't realize this, but um, but uh, Mardi Gras was never celebrated in the Episcopal churches. You may say, well, how does he know that? Well, I know it because I lived it. We were, Mary and I served one, two, three. I served two about four parishes before I even went to seminary. While in seminary, we served two parishes that were that were very mainstream, and one was actually high church, and then later on, many other parishes. And uh, we um, we never, I never even, even even until a few years ago when I uh, uh, finished my time at All Saints Chevy Chase, we never had Mardi Gras. That's an entirely new kind of import. Um, and uh, a lot of parishes are doing that. What we had was we had Shrove Tuesday pancake supper. That was almost universal. And then we had Ash Wednesday without ashes and without communion, one hour long with a full sermon. And that was deep and that was powerful. And that set the stage for a period of uh, of, uh, of considerably opportunistic in the best sense, shall I say, an opportu- a season that was an opportunity for personal reflection and gospel declaration in a more direct manner than you usually had throughout the rest of the year. And uh, then you had this extraordinary prayer at the end of the Ash Wednesday service, receive our humble petitions and though we be tied and bound with the chain of our sins, let the pitifulness of thy great mercy loose us from them. So what am I saying? I'm saying that uh, outer ashen limits, uh, uh, the tumbleweeds that characterize the uh, alien uh, presence, which I think is hostile in Cry of Silence from 1964, the Outer Limits episode, is um, it just shows you as I sat there, I thought, think of how this has altered. Think of, and, and I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if, if there really are any people here. I think I could, I could think of one, a much older priest who is retired, who is sitting about four pews in front of us, who left the ministry. That is to say, when he retired, ended up doing something else. Very interesting. But he's a lovely, devout man and his wife. I thought to myself, I wonder if he remembers the way it was. I feel like I'm such an old man, but I, I was ordained very early. I was ordained at the legal limit. So that's why I have a, too much of a memory. We were at a Paula White um, event. Actually, it was a a wonderful birthday party for Jonathan Cain of Journey, her husband. And we met this terrific African-American pastor and his wife, who we really liked, who were in Georgia, first-class chap, and is very devout, lovely, humble, terrific wife. And uh, we talked to them, and then at the end, he said, well, now, how long has your husband been ordained? I had gone to a different uh, table or something. And Mary said, oh, he's been ordained, I think it's a little over 45 years. And he looked at her with real 
genuine, sincere kind of abashment or maybe even astonishment. He said, 45 years? You know, this chap's about 40, but he said, he's been ordained 45 years? Well, maybe because I got ordained so soon and my memory is too long in terms of church life. But what am I saying to you? The the fact that the service on Ash Wednesday, a major day in, in the Christian faith and the Christian church, could have uh, changed to the degree that I've just described it, such that when I was a young man, and to me it was like yesterday, to me it's like yesterday, no ashes, no communion, no Mardi Gras, short, incredibly deep, almost alienatingly deep, mostly the Psalms, Psalm 51, maybe Psalm 103, but I don't even remember that, and the uh, power of being confronted with the the hold of our human nature like a chain around our neck, and you have the power of the Ash Wednesday service and the astonishing flux of a world which is forever in motion, for good or for ill, you make up your mind, and uh, it sort of puts it in perspective. Well, that's what I wanted to say, and the only thing I want to add, because I'm going to finish with a song that I love, uh, when Jonathan Cain was reflecting about his musical life, on uh, last Saturday, he he grew up in Chicago and he began playing in a band. He said he wasn't really that into rock and roll or the current pop singles. He he was totally overwhelmed and impressed by the uh, music of Chicago. Um, what do they call? What was the original name of Chicago? Uh, I I just have Chicago here. Um, Chicago sounded light. <laughs> I always forget the name, but here it is. And uh, he was. Uh, struck by the um, synthetic, in the best sense of the word, addition of horns and uh, movements and uh, different um, timbres and different attitudes and tones in a given song. And he said that he was especially struck uh, in his very early years as a popular musician, and he has since gone to the very, very height of American and international rock and roll fame. I was decided to go back to a song that I remember too. I remember hearing the song Smile. What was the song that made such an impression? Make Me Smile. Boy, do I associate that with college. But he uh, mentioned the song Beginnings, and I thought to myself, you know, the, the great power of Ash Wednesday, whether you want to uh, sort of buffet it up or add to it or uh, tart it up, it's not the right word, whether you want to um, enhance it with communion and ashes and next year it'll be something different. Believe me, it'll be something different, an Ash Wednesday candle or an Ash Wednesday drama, but it'll be something that is sort of fresh and new and seems a little exciting and it will just detract, make the service longer and the sermon shorter. But nevertheless, whatever it is, um, the power of Ash Wednesday lies in the admission of utter defeat through the compulsion of a human nature that cannot control itself and is in a conflict between ego and id that is uh, irresoluble in favor of the ego and almost always wins out to a form of uh, disappointed conflictedness and uh, um, sorrow before the um, power of the human sin that Stu uh, spotlighted with incredible acuity today and with which we, um, uh, we want to say that Ash Wednesday is one of the profoundest services of the year. So whatever you think about what I've said, Ash and Outer Limits, or how I've reflected on the current uh, innovations and the ones that will come, say to yourself, this 
is the truth of life. Our compulsion through the chains we have wrought in life, through the, the compulsion of our sin that desperately uh, requires only one solution, which is God's grace, forgiveness, and hope. Incidentally, I'm writing my book now. I'm actually in the middle of it. The book called Mockingbird for Boomers, Finding Hope and Peace in the Last Third of Life. Here's Chicago. Oh, 
Yeah. 